After that meal, I have got to pass gas. Uh, powder room's right there. No! Daddy's gas can kill us all! That's right. Toxic clouds like the one I'm about to unleash could make everyone deathly ill. Be right back. Secondhand smoke contains hydrogen cyanide and other deadly gases. What a guy. Oh, he is a keeper. Don't pass gas. Take it outside. Get the facts at don'tpassgas.org. A message from the Ad Council and the American Legacy Foundation. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And obviously a, <coughs> an interesting week, stock market algorithm glitches, dunce caps that don't work in the golf, dunce cap officials that don't work in the playoffs, uh, elections that don't uh, produce definitive results in Britain. Uh, Merkel gets clobbered in a regional election due to the bailout of Greece, riots in Greece, all sorts of things. It's typical chaos. And, of course, Ernie Harwell passed away. All you can say about it, Ernie Harwell is what a guy, maybe the best radio baseball announcer of all time, and certainly a... Michigan and a national favorite. Um, the story got uh, national news, both uh, on national public radio and New York Times lengthy article. Very big obituary. Photograph of uh, Mr. Harwell as he lay in state. Yeah. Uh, mm. Which was a pretty remarkable uh, occasion. Yeah. Uh, I guess viewers lined up until 1 a.m. all through the day into the night to pay their respects to a... Uh, Broadcasting legend. Yeah, and I think it once again shows the class of Mike Illich, uh, owner also of the Detroit Red Wings, who owns the currently owns the Detroit Tigers. 
he brought back Ernie after that bonehead Bo Schembechler fired him because Ernie was involved in the Save Tiger Stadium movement. Mm -hmm. It was basically political. Bo was hired by the other pizza mogul, no longer a pizza (laughs) mogul. one associated with the voices of evil. Tom Monahan. A secret supporter of the Contras, as I seem to recall. He uh, was part of the... Uh, and once falsely claimed to have been an orphan. D- uh, I think he was part of the uh, private diversion of funds to the Contras, sponsored by the uh, National Security Council during the Reagan administration that uh, apparently Ronald Reagan didn't know anything about. At least that's according to the uh, the official records. <laughs> <laughs> In any case... Uh, a touching uh, tribute to Ernie Harwell, and uh, sad to see the Wings uh, peel out of the playoffs. Just uh, cards just weren't right for him this year. Uh, difficult year, and uh, a lot of travel, and the the schedule seems often more rushed than it really needs to be for the playoffs. And that's not just you know true for the Wings, but the amount of miles traveled. Yeah. Um, and any ga- teams in the uh, in the Western Conference have to go. Two and three times as many miles as uh, teams in the Eastern Conference. And what was the deal with moving game uh, five up a day? They did that unilaterally at the last second. I didn't understand that. That That was was bizarre, too. A break for San Jose, in my opinion. But, uh, again, you know, you can't win it every year. And certainly uh, that's everybody's uh, aspiration. But uh, over the last 15 years, the Detroit Red Wings have made the Stanley Cup Finals six times. And they've won the Cup four of those. They've made it to the Conference Finals, in addition to those Mm -hmm. six times, another four or five times. So it's... uh, it's an entertaining and well-run franchise. Yeah, and it's the current uh, longest uh, consecutive playoff streak of, a, of the four major sports mm-hmm. uh, at 19 years. Um, that, I think, is a tribute to the quality of the organization. And I think there was a stretch between 95 and 2003 where they either won the Cup or were defeated by the team that did win the Cup. Right. Could be wrong on that. There might have been a year where uh, Buffalo or, I mean, Dallas and or... Oh, the year they got uh, uh, beat by Edmonton in the uh, first or second round. Edmonton went out of the final, but then Carolina won. Okay, yeah. I knew, I knew there was one year yeah. in there where it might not have happened, but it was, it's a very impressive uh, second stretch of uh, domination. And, of course, they had to overcome a lot of uh, injuries this year that sort of doomed them. I think so. that the ultimate decider was the fact that they had to go back to Phoenix yeah. to play that seventh game that was a crusher indeed then they that gave the nhl the excuse to make them force them to play immediately two nights later and it was that maybe that extra road trip that uh, doomed them bit of exhaustion so it's anybody's game now and as long as uh pittsburgh doesn't win it two years in a row i think detroit fans will settle for that well um sports uh with the exception, really, of football, uh, college football, has ultimate champions. And uh, needless to say, the British election didn't produce them. No, indeed. Uh, As I sort of predicted last week, Gordon Brown was either going to finish first or third. And I think based on the totals, he finished third. Ironically, he remains the prime minister and can still form a government. And what is now fascinating is that uh, this third party, the Liberal Democrats and Nicholas Clegg, 
sort of control the cards, and they're more disposed to changing the electoral system of Britain that is kind of a hybrid proportional representation system and a winner-take-all system. Uh, as you will recall, in, in the United States of America, for instance, when we uh, elect a president, we vote technically for electors of a state. And they also have this obscure clause in the Constitution that the president and the vice president can't be from the same state. Hence, Dick Cheney changed his uh, oh, in, yeah, indeed, <laughs> his mailing address, so to speak, uh, while he was chairman of Halliburton to uh, Wowman, where he was from, and I think that's legitimate in his case. But uh, <laughs> one of his few legitimate uh, maneuvers. <laughs> maneuvers. But how interesting to uh, observe that Halliburton is involved in the Gulf. Oh, yeah. Uh, oil surprise, spell, surprise. Uh, incompetence, run amok. And as for monuments to stupidity, Crawford, Texas is badly in need of one. Its number one citizen needs a tribute. So the containment dunce cap dome <laughs> that did not work should be moved to Crawford, Texas. And the erected, w cap. Erected in honor of George Bush, a friend of oil, fossil fuels, and war. Here's an expensive, useless piece of crap that didn't work like we thought maybe it might have. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, the technical <laughs> problem sounded daunting, to say the least. And, uh, you know, more incredible little stories. Robert Bennett, um, longtime serving senator from Utah, is defeated by a bunch of hosebag teabaggers in a convention and he can't be the nominee of, of his party. So he's, you know, effectively been defeated in a primary, ousted, because he's not conservative enough. Well, this is working out pretty good for the Republican Party so far, I guess. Now, <laughs> without going into the history of Robert Bennett's voting record, which is indeed one of the most conservative in the Senate, though it's not as lame as Inhofe, uh, Coburn, or... Jim DeMint of Waterloo fame. I just wanted to <clears throat> interestingly mention a, a, an aspect of Robert Bennett's career that is sort of obscure. During the Watergate scandal, he was chairman of a group called the Mullen Group. They were a public relations firm. And uh, it's interesting that he may have been one of Woodward's sort of off the book off the record sort of sources in fact there was some speculation that he might have even been deep throat for a while which uh, i found incredible but as a mormon uh, he neither smoked nor drank and that was a clue uh, about deep throat but right. uh, if you want to read some interesting uh, books about uh, robert bennett's role before he became senator um you might check out some, some of the old 70s Watergate books, uh, including the, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the title of it. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me in a second, um, about Robert Bennett's role as uh, chairman of the Mullen Group and how he may have manipulated coverage of the Watergate scandal as it unfolded. Um, I don't know whether he's going to switch parties. Um, might make sense to do so. It, yeah, he cannot be the Republican nominee. So we may have 
another major um, third party here, a candidate. It'll be interesting to see what he decides. He is 76. He may just decide to to bow out gracefully, as they say. But uh, sort of a fascinating political development. Uh, Utah, of course, other than Oklahoma, the, uh, those are the two most Republican states. So the Republican nominee, logically, uh, should win the seat. But one would think that Robert Bennett, with his uh, long record in the state of Utah, might uh, actually um, be the independent senator from Utah. We'll see. Well, the teabag party strikes again. Yeah, uh, and with, a, with an amazing argument, not conservative enough. And as for the British elections, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, the results came in. Um, I followed a little bit of the coverage late night on CNBC uh, because there was a kind of a point where it was clear that the conservatives were not going to make it as the so-called majority party. And these other parties that are in your basic chart of the results from the election are generally uh, parties from Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. I remember that Bernadette Dorn documentary. Oh, yeah. She was the member of parliament from mm-hmm. Northern Ireland Ulster. that basically yeah. had a vote but not much uh, else. Um, anyway, it will be interesting to see how this, uh, these negotiations uh, figure uh, into the future of Britain. And now it appears that Britain uh, is uh, headed for austerity measures that we're finding out about Greece. And needless to say, there was a big recovery today in the stock market that was partially due to the uh, German parliament uh, passing the German approval of the bailout, so to speak. Mm. This is sort of similar to the TARP legislation here in the United States that, in theory, calms the financial markets. Uh, you will recall that when the TARP legislation was originally proposed by Henry Paulson, Republican, Bush, Treasury Secretary, the Republicans in the House were able to defeat the bill, and the American stock market crashed. That didn't happen because the uh, Germans, so to speak, stepped up to the sta- uh, plate, but unpopular at home. Well, that is pretty remarkable that it would come to that. Um, what do you think about the announcement of a couple of speculative names for the uh, Supreme Court uh, nominee? Kagan. Kagan is in. That's it's a done. Yeah. Well, she was nominated today. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, uh, Solicitor General. Yeah, it seems unusual that she has actually no judicial experience. This, this seems like a bit of a uh, shortcoming on the old resume. Well, yes, indeed. But Roberts and Clarence Thomas and well, actually, I think Roberts had a decent amount, but I think it was Alito and Clarence Thomas had very little themselves and. The Republicans can't complain about this. They filibustered her. Right. So this is like the infamous uh, guy that kills his mother and father and complains about being an orphan. (laughs) Um, I don't know a heck of a lot about Kagan. I know sort of the basic sort of summarized uh, version of events that she was the dean of the Harvard uh, 
law school. Mm-hmm. She taught with Obama, apparently. University of Chicago. Uh, back in Chicago. She, she, she knows uh, Obama personally and is uh, somewhat connected. And she worked in the Clinton administration. So she's sort of a mainstream, run-of-the-mill Ivy League brain, basically. I think what's interesting is the age. She's young. I think she's, I mean, by judicial standards, 50, I think. Uh, 50 years old. That's and quite young. Also, um, she's Jewish. Now, I, th- which I don't think is either a disqualifying or qualifying factor, but it's interesting that the Supreme Court will have no Protestants on its bench. Indeed. And, that and is- for the first time, three women. Yeah. And that's, I think, it, the also at the heart of why Obama appointed her. Um, obviously, the w- women's vote is, is crucial for the Democratic Party's constituency. Yeah. And uh, it's one more example of putting, you know, balancing the court. There's, uh, frankly, too many white male Catholics on the Supreme Court. They are vastly overrepresented. And, and also, uh, to her credit, she was an open uh, and consistent critic on the don't ask, don't tell policy. Yeah, that's um, been the stumbling block with her previous uh, appointment as Solicitor General. The Solicitor General, by the way, is a is a kind of an interesting position. It's just sort of a person that argues the case before the Supreme Court. And Thurgood Marshall... I don't know that he was Solicitor General, but I think he was the assistant. He argued Brown versus Board. Indeed, yeah. So this is how he got elevated through the ranks. He, of course, uh, ranks as the most liberal justice in American history. And what I find just absolutely bizarre about, uh, because, you know, obviously the Kabuki Theater is underway regarding this appointment. I don't see her being defeated. But it's, it's very strange that the American public has decided that the Supreme Court, and this is, you know, it, this this number's just gone up but uh, in, in the last couple of years, but they've decided that the Supreme Court is too liberal, the number of Americans that think that. It used to be about 20%, and now it's like up to 28%. Um, Which Supreme Court are they following now? <laughs> I don't know. This is the most conservative is- Supreme Court probably since the 19th century, and uh, many of them seem to be living in the 19th <laughs> Indeed, century. yeah. Dragging the rest of us back. They... Uh, probably would figure out a way to revisit Dred Scott. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Constitution says it's in its original language that African-Americans, who were not called African-Americans back then, slaves, yeah. were to be counted as a three-fifths of people for voting purposes. That's it remarkable. is in the original language. That's remarkable. <laughs> Of course, that was the infamous compromise that allowed right. the Constitution to go through. Uh, we don't want to revisit the compromises that the Founding Fathers had to make, make to get the document through, but those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, speaking of those were the days, uh, the shadow of uh, ever-lovable Richard Nixon... Is back. Uh, is well, never really goes away. It's like the ghost of uh, Lincoln's ghost is said to haunt certain corner of the White House. Nixon's ghost, in many ways, haunts the uh, body politic in in every 
uh, possible permutation. But uh, last week, as Senator Carl Levin uh, heard testimony in the uh, investigation investigative subcommittee there, the specter of Nixon was raged when the uh, rating agencies referred to themselves as using Nixonian practices with regard to the thin veneer of utter BS that kept the house of cards afloat. Yeah. Was uh, ballied about. And uh, as they sift through more than 500 pages in documents, uh, the evidence seems pretty clear that according to the chief executive uh, credit officer of Moody's, we drank the Kool-Aid. Uh-oh. <laughs> In those exact terms. Um, pretty remarkable. Elsewhere, the situation is described as they, uh, the rating agencies, have become so beholden to their top issuers for revenue, they have developed a kind of Stockholm Syndrome, which they mistakenly tag as customer value creation. There's this sort of weird mental virus, apparently, that takes over when you get into this position and... Uh, start to play footsie with the uh, highest levels of corruption imaginable. Well, and Stockholm Syndrome is an interesting metaphor because Indeed. it's probably one of those words or clauses that Frank Luntz came up with somewhere on a computer. Yeah. Uh, maybe with algorithms involved, for all we know. But, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, always beware of the San Francisco Democrat, <laughs> the Northeastern Liberal... Uh, which I'm sure Kagan will now be accused of being, because um, if you will recall, one of her stumbling blocks as uh, Solicitor General, I think there were something like 30 or 31 no votes uh, for her uh, appointment to that position by uh, all Republicans, obviously, was that she uh, would not allow the military to recruit on campus Oh, because of the don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Policy, but there may have been other reasons to not allow the military to recruit on campus. Um, yeah, Carl. Of course, Carl's the other been you know a little ornery lately. I guess he, he was has in using fact, some salty language. Well, I was just going to mention <laughs> a couple of weeks ago it was the language that the memos themselves used, and oh, that these I executives was had referred to yeah. these. I mean, they were calling them in their inner office memos. Crappy loans. We right. use the term crappy here, although substitute another alliterative consonant and exactly. you'll know where we're at. And apparently this went back and forth a number of times to the general amusement of mm -hmm. those who follow such things. You don't often hear such salty language, but I think uh, Senator Levin uh, was uh, totally within his rights to do that. Yeah. Well, and, it was interesting uh, because when it was quoted on TV was, uh, and or radio, it was... A great dramatic <laughs> maneuver on his part. <laughs> it sounded like expletive deleted. Indeed. So there's that other end of the Nixonian moment. But um, that's generally speaking how the average working person feels about it. Sure. This is a crappy deal. Uh, it's a pretty crappy setup uh, if such exploitation can go on and nobody... Uh, can prevent it or find a way to punish those responsible, uh, you know, slowly. We hope these things get worked out, but uh, it's a crappy deal. And so call it what it is. Yeah, and of course, the, the, the ordinary person on the street, you know, this is reflected, for instance, in these regional elections that happened in Germany over the weekend yeah. uh, in the Rhine-Westphalia-Holstein province or whatever mm -hmm. it was. They don't have the... 
specific province in front of me, but Merkel lost 10 points in the results of the voting because of the outrage that ordinary Germans feel about bailing out the Greeks. They read articles about the Greeks admitting to having, I don't know, there was a front page article about the number of pools, and apparently there's a tax on pools, and the, they admit to having like 687, but in fact, satellite sh photographs have shown that there are 16,000 <laughs> pools uh, in the uh, elite parts of Athens, which, of course, is a very hot in the summer. Indeed. So it's this sort of outrage that a, a working man in Germany would feel. Well, why are we bailing them out? They've, you know, they've got government problems that are at the heart of uh, their deficit and their inability to collect taxes properly. Uh, the average working German probably thinks that the tourist dollars they spend when they go to Greece on summer holiday are uh, adequate compensation. Yeah. Uh, there's no need to pay for their swimming pools, too. Well, the beer is better in Germany, but the uh, women are better in Greece. <laughs> Certainly the beaches are. So go to the, the uh, Greek... Uh, it's not called the Riviera, but... Take a t take a tour, take a tour, <laughs> and of course the House of Cards problem is it is connected. I mean it's interesting that uh, they just announced over the the week. I wanted to read this because you know I was even unaware of this. You know the stock market over the last couple of weeks has been going down as part of a quote unquote normal correction, but you know it turns out that the United States and I'm quoting from an article here by. Graham, no, wait a minute, I've got this wrong, uh, by Nelson Schwartz and Eric Dash in a recent edition of the New York Times in which they note um, the direct exposure of American banks to Greece is small, but below the surface there are signs of other fissures. Even the strongest banks in Germany and France have heavy exposure. Two more troubled economies in the periphery of the continent Hence, this trillion dollar, trillion euro, trillion dollar bailout TARP fund is actually designed to protect contagion. Hmm. Another interesting word that uh, is now ubiquitous with the financial crisis. We have opacity. We have contagion. Words that we normally don't use but are now used frequently. So keep an eye on opacity and contagion. But anyway, uh, on the periphery of the continent, getting back to quoting the uh, paragraph here, and these big banks, in turn, are closely intertwined with their American counterparts. Overall, United States banks have $3.6 trillion in exposure to European banks, according to the Bank for International Settlements. That includes more than a trillion dollars in loans to France and Germany and nearly $200 billion to Spain. Hence the contagion, hence the interest that the American stock market has on this problem in Greece, which on the surface seems small. They're basically getting a $30 billion loan guarantee that the German government is essentially underwriting temporarily. But it's sort of like a bridge loan that we saw with the TARP money and the American auto bailout situation. I also wanted to give a brain damage award out to uh, 
the radical American-born Muslim hiding in Yemen, a fellow by the name of Anwar al-Awlaki. When he's quoted on the front page of the New York Times saying that jihad is becoming as American as apple pie and as British as afternoon tea, uh, this man needs his head examined. <laughs> um, yes, it's now been revealed that the suspect in the Times Square bomb was a Pakistani-born um, Muslim who became a naturalized American citizen because he got an H-1B, SB, or whatever it's called, visa as a high-tech worker. Uh, apparently his uh, college performance was unremarkably, remarkably unremarkable. <laughs> you know how all the kids in Lake Wobegon are slightly above average? Well, yeah. he seemed to be remarkably average. <clears throat> uh, my question is, why on earth would America give this guy citizenship? That's the $100,000 question, in my opinion. If a guy gets married in Peshawar, which is where bin Laden actually had his original sort of return to the region when he was booted out of the Sudan, mm -hmm. one would think that might send some alarm bells off. Uh, but apparently there are other factors involved. But I would say to the Sheikh Anwar al-Awlaki that, you know, your jihadists are batting below the Mendoza line, which, of course, is a reference to... <laughs> The infamous good-fielding shortstop of the Pittsburgh Pirates from the mid-'70s who uh, always seemed to hit 188. <laughs> he was a good fielder, and he played on a slugging team, so they didn't mind batting him eighth and throwing him in there. But, uh, you know, the only sort of ingrown American jihad person that's succeeded at these sort of harebrained plots uh, is Major Hassan, and he is in custody. He was allowed to take weapons onto a military base because that's part of his job. <laughs> He's in the military. <clears throat> He's a major, major general in the <laughs> Continental Army, whatever. Um, and, of course, he went berserk and killed uh, a dozen, so a dozen people, people yeah. in, a, in a mass shooting, a kind of a postal worker-style shooting. He's in custody. He's eventually going to be executed. Because um, they're still debating whether they're going to try him in military court or in civilian court. But ir irrespective of this, the idea that jihad is becoming as American as apple pie or as British as afternoon tea strikes me as absurd. You get a brain damage award. Well, indeed, as do the processors of the application for citizenship, I would think, because uh, beyond simply the Peshawar. Yeah connection, um, the startling realization that um, the Pakistani army has, of course, claimed this branch, uh, the Tariq-e-Taliban is the group that uh, Shahzad is being uh, purportedly linked to. Uh, the Pakistani army declared the TTP knocked out and destroyed after a military offensive in South Waziristan last year. Uh, Daniel Domby writes in the Financial Times, but the U.S. has been stepping up calls for Pakistan to make a push against the group in neighboring North Waziristan as well. So uh, Hillary Clinton comments that uh, we need greater cooperation from Pakistan and that they have gotten better. Last year represented a sea change, but she added, we want more, we expect more. We're driving the 
country further into its civil war mm -hmm. is is what we've said before down here on the show. And this is a country with uh, serious budgetary problems, serious management problems. Um, and we're asking it to spend more and more on what U.S. security needs would.